are continuing, actually, a, uh, a five-part series called Incarnation. Uh, it's uh, all about uh, Advent and, and Christmas, and so we want to welcome you again. Now, some of you are here for the first time. Uh, some of you uh, grew up in church, but you haven't been in a while. Uh, some of you actually may not be all that familiar with what Christians believe, and that was my story. I grew up in a Buddhist family, and I didn't uh, become a Christian until my late 20s. Um, and so no matter what your background is, we are really glad that you are here. Uh, you are welcome here. Now, since we have so many guests uh, today, uh, we thought it would be a good idea to focus on the core message of our faith, uh, what we call the gospel. And we want to to share with you why it is that we love Jesus and follow Jesus, and we think that perhaps some of you might, um, like so many of us, decide that you want to know more, and you may decide today to begin a a new chapter in your spiritual journey, and uh, we invite you to to do that along with us. So we're in the season of Advent. Next week, we celebrate Christmas, which is all about the birth of Jesus Christ, what we call the incarnation. Because we believe that Jesus was not just a good man or a wise teacher or a religious leader. He is the Son of God. And there are four books in the Bible called the Gospels. Actually, the Bible is not just one book. It's 66 different books. But there are four books in the Bible called the Gospels that record specifically the life and the teachings of Jesus. And the Apostle John who was one of Jesus' closest disciples and therefore an eyewitness to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, uh, writes in his gospel, he begins with these words, In the beginning was the Word. And this Word is is not referring to the Bible. This Word is referring to the person of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he continues, he says, the word, whoops, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, and he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The creator of the universe came into the world that he created in the form of a helpless child. Why? For what? Well, Scripture tells us for hundreds of years before Jesus was born, for hundreds of years, the Jewish people held on to this promise that one day God was going to send them a Messiah to liberate and lead them into freedom and prosperity. And one of their prophets, Isaiah, wrote these words about the coming Messiah 700 years before Jesus was born. He wrote, for to us, a child is born, or you may read that will be born, right? To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
And so the, the Jewish people would anticipate the coming of this Messiah. And in the Gospel of Luke, 700 years later, we read about the arrival of this child who was promised, this son who is given to us. In Luke, we read this, that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, which was a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, who was Israel's greatest king. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now Mary was very troubled at this. She didn't know why this angel was showing up. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And you will conceive, you give birth to a son. And you were to call him Jesus. And he will be great and called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and his kingdom will never end. And Mary says, how will this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And when the time came for Jesus to be born, we read that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, the town of David, and Mary gave birth, and then she wrapped him in cloths and placed them in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, because there was no guest room available for them. And then we read in Luke 2.8 that there were some shepherds who were living out in the fields nearby, and they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The Lord. Why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus, first of all, came to reveal God to us. For the first time, we could see and we could touch and we could talk to God. He also came to lead us in God's ways. Jesus, he, when, he, when he grew up and he began his ministry, he taught with this authority that nobody had ever seen before. And his life was his example to all of us. But most importantly, Jesus came to save us. Today in the town of David, a savior, not a teacher, not a leader, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, if Jesus is the savior of the world, what does that imply? What does that tell us? We need saving. The world needs saving. You need to be saved. I need to be saved. And so the question is, saved from what? Saved from what? And how? You know, if you Google top news stories of 2017, here are some of the things that happened this year. Hurricane Harvey. Hurricane Irma. 
Hurricane Maria. This was the year of hurricanes and natural disasters, it feels like. You read about California wildfires up in the North Bay, up in Napa and Sonoma County, and, and now down here, right? Ventura. And those are just natural things, but, but pretty soon as you start reading about the top stories, you, you read about multiple instances of terrorism. You read about the attacks in London, England, when a truck rammed into pedestrians. You, you read about in Alexandria, Egypt, where a number of churches were bombed on Palm Sunday. You, you read about Manchester, England, at an Ariana Grande concert where there was another bombing there. As we go on through the year, we, we read about the refugee crisis that continues to, to ravage Europe. There's a flow, a massive flow of, of refugees from Syria, from Afghanistan, from Iraq, Kosovo, in Myanmar. We read about North Korea's nuclear program, their nuclear ambitions, getting closer and closer to being able to hit anywhere in the world with a possible nuclear missile. As we go through 2017, top news stories, we read about the Las Vegas shootings, worst mass shooting in recent U.S. history. We read about the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. <clears throat> where white supremacists marched and there was violence and someone rammed a car, again, a car, into a group of pedestrians, a group of protesters. We read about incredible, unprecedented division in our country, congressional gridlock over tax reform, immigration, Russian interference in our political process, travel bans, border walls, ending the DREAM Act. We read about sexual harassment and abuse coming to light. So as we go through all of this, we begin to ask the question, what does the world need saving from? It needs saving from us. You, you can't go through, a, just, this is just 2017, a year's worth of news, and not come to the conclusion that we need a savior. And the Bible teaches, and our experience confirms, that we live in a broken and a fallen world. And here's what we are unwilling, however, to admit. And this is one of the most essential teachings of Christianity. Is that we all contribute. We all contribute to the systems that perpetuate this evil and injustice. We participate in a capitalist system that puts profits before people and rewards greed and not generosity. We produce and we consume media that glorifies violence and cheapens our God-given sexuality. We participate in, a, in this system of evil and injustice because we can be selfish and petty and deceitful and cruel when we feel threatened or to suit our own ends. We all contribute to this evil and injustice. We are responsible. In other words, we are complicit. And the Bible calls this complicity 
sin. We are all complicit. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Earlier, the writer of Romans, Paul, says, There are none righteous, not even one. We are all complicit. In Isaiah 53.6, we read this, We are all like sheep. We've all gone astray. and Each of us has turned to our own way. So what is sin? Sin is rebellion against God. We were made to love God and serve God and enjoy God, to be loved by God and enjoyed by God. And so sin is a rejection of that relationship. Sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is rooted in our desire to be in the driver's seat, to decide for ourselves what is right and what is good and what is just without God's interference. That's the essence of sin. And that is not going very well for us. That's not going very well for us. So sin is not just a rejection of God's commands, but a rejection of the authority and person of God himself. And in 2000, 2000 years ago, a child was born in Bethlehem, and the angels announced, today in the town of David... Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, that is good news, okay? That's amazing, incredible news. The, the heavens rejoiced at this news, but this is only good news if you think humanity needs saving. And those of us who follow Jesus believe that it does. Humanity needs saving. And so my question would be, what about you? Do you believe that the world needs saving? Or do you believe we're doing just fine on our own? More to the point, do you believe you need saving? Do you believe that you are complicit in the sin and evil and injustice in the world? Or do you believe that you are separate from that? You are innocent. You're one of the good guys. And all of that has nothing to do with you. And if, if everyone was just like you, it would be heaven. We'd be perfect, right? Or do you believe you are complicit and therefore you also need saving. A Savior has been born to us. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and His name is Jesus. So how exactly does Jesus save us? How does, how does Jesus do that? Well, first of all, Jesus saves us by paying the penalty for our sins, for our complicitness. Sin has to be paid for. We, we know this, right? Intuitively. This is why every culture on earth has established some kind of justice system. We know this. We know intuitively that when a law is broken, when someone is wronged or violated, restitution must be made, right? You find this in every culture on earth. There's not a single culture on earth 
that believes that when someone commits a wrong, we just go, that's fine, don't worry about it, no big deal. We know this, right? Human beings have an innate sense of justice. Now, that sense of justice has often been warped because we're sinful people. But we know, we know that evil cannot go unpunished. Sin cannot go unanswered. And the Bible teaches in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Now, this makes sense because sin dehumanizes us. Sin damages our relationships. Sin drives a wedge between us and a holy God. Sin kills everything it touches. Sin leaves death and destruction and broken lives in its wake. And so the wages or the penalty, the payment, the consequence of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus taught that he came into the world for one specific purpose, to seek and save the lost. And he did this by paying the penalty of sin for us. He substituted his life for ours. The only man who had never sinned was nailed to a cross for the sins of all. Isaiah 53, verse 4, again, speaks to 700 years before Jesus was born. says this, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus saves us by paying the penalty for our sins, but he does more than that. Jesus saves us also by liberating us from the power of sin. Because the word Savior in Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, the word Savior in Greek also means liberator. Now, liberation implies more than forgiveness, right? Liberation implies positive, actual change in us and to us. For example, a person who drinks too much, right? A person who drinks too much might be forgiven uh, for their mistakes, but it's even more important that that person is then liberated from their addiction to alcohol, right? Not just forgiven, but liberated. A A man who has a rage problem. Anybody know somebody like that, right? A man who has a rage problem, might be forgiven for his angry outbursts and hurtful behavior, but what he really needs is to be liberated from the sin and brokenness that lead him to rage. Yes? Pastor Edward Marquardt puts it this way. He says, Jesus comes to liberate us from our selfishness, from those habits of childhood where I need to be the center of all that happens, where I want others to wait on me and care for me, the most important person in my world, Jesus comes to liberate us from that selfishness that enslaves us to our own whims and appetites and egos. Jesus comes to liberate us from our painful pasts, to set us free from all the mistakes we've made throughout our lives. Mistakes with the kids, mistakes with our spouse, mistakes with our job, mistakes with our neighbors. Some of us have been experts at making mistakes. 
We have a lifetime of mistakes. Jesus comes to liberate us from our fears, the fear of disease, the fear of death, the fear of failure, the fear of growing old, the fear that there is no God, the fear that your kids are not going to turn out okay. Do you have any fears? Jesus came to liberate you from that. Jesus comes to liberate us from our addictions to drugs and alcohol and marijuana and sexual fantasies and overeating and all the other addictions that dominate our lives and pull us down. Jesus comes to liberate us from our love of money and wealth, from silently believing that money and material things will bring us happiness, from believing that people with money are somehow more successful. That is a very poor measure of success how much money you have. Jesus comes to liberate us from our rage, our anger, our sharp tongues and sharp comments, our sarcasm, our putting people down, our need for revenge, and the dreams of inflicting revenge on someone who has hurt us and needs to be hurt by us. Christ, the liberator, comes to free us from all of that. He comes to forgive us, but more than forgive us, he comes to liberate us whenever God in Christ comes into our lives and frees us from all that stifles us and cripples us and corrupts us, it is good news and great joy. And we are happy. Not because of some kind of warm, fuzzy Christmas traditions that make us forget our troubles for a moment, but because we have experienced true freedom, freedom from all the junk that has been weighing us down and sucks the life out of us. So Jesus saves us by paying the penalty for our sins. He also saves us by liberating us from the power of sin so that we can be transformed from the inside out and made whole again. But ultimately, Jesus is going to save us by ushering in the kingdom of God on earth, a new reality. Throughout his ministry, Jesus would proclaim the same message. Everywhere he went, he would say, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news, this gospel. Now, what's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is a world in which all people in every corner of the earth are united under the lordship, the banner, the authority of Jesus. It's a world in which everything that God wanted to happen actually happens. The kingdom of God is the world as God designed it to be. It's heaven on earth. And the Apostle John received the vision of this coming kingdom, and he recorded it in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And he writes down in the very last pages, he says, I saw this new heaven and a new earth, and I heard a loud voice saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. He's going to wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, because the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, John, for these words are trustworthy and true. So how does Jesus save the world? He pays the penalty for our sins. He liberates from the power of sin, and he ushers in the kingdom of God which we now enjoy just a foretaste of, but one day will come in all its fullness and glory. So then how can we be saved? 
First of all, we recognize that we need saving. That's where it all begins. You recognize, I need a Savior. The world is full of brokenness and evil and injustice, and I am complicit. The world is broken because we are broken, and we need a Savior. Secondly, we recognize that Jesus is that Savior. Luke 2, 10, 11, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The worst feeling in the world is wanting to be saved and believing that there's no one who can save you. Can you imagine being in the middle of an ocean, drowning and looking around and you don't see any land or any people or any boats in sight anywhere? The hopelessness of that. But now imagine drowning and seeing a light coming towards you, a boat, and one of those, what do you call those rings? Life preserver thrown at you, and you, the hope that you feel. Worst feeling is knowing that you need a Savior and thinking that there is none, but the greatest feeling is knowing that there is someone who can help. Recognizing that Jesus is the Savior, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Thirdly, once we recognize that Jesus is that Savior, then we repent, we change direction in our lives, and we believe that Jesus is King. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe this good news. When the Magi, when the wise men found Jesus, they brought him gifts, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him, and they treated him like the king that he was. So we need to repent and believe and receive Jesus as our King. And then fourthly, if you want to be saved, then we begin to reorient our lives around Jesus and His mission. Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God. First He changes us, then He invites us to change the world. Whenever people came to faith in Christ, when He touched their lives, forgave them of their sins, rose from the dead. The one thing that we see over and over and over again, people who are impacted by Jesus, is they could not keep it a secret. They felt compelled to tell people. They blabbed about it to everyone, even under the threat of death. People said, if you don't stop talking about this Jesus, We will imprison you. We will torture you. We will kill you. And that would not shut them up. And then they began to live as if the kingdom of God was already here. They began to live these lives of radical love and compassion. Tim Keller says, when we realize that Jesus is someday going to destroy hunger and disease and poverty and injustice and death itself. It makes Christianity what C.S. Lewis called a fighting religion. When we are confronted with a city slum or a cancer ward, we get up and we get ready to fight. God created both the material and spiritual. He's going to redeem both the material and the spiritual. Now, when we talk about fighting, we are not talking about violence, right? That is not the way of Jesus. 
So how has Trinity responded? As we respond to Jesus redeeming and restoring us and leading us, how have we done that? How do we respond to the sin and the brokenness in the world? How do we become a fighting church? Can I tell you some of the ways that we've been fighting? In response to Hurricane Harvey, and these are just some pictures of uh, our campaign we did earlier this year called Love Where You Live. This is pictures of our people engaging our community with love. But in response to Hurricane Harvey, we sent the cleanup crew down to Houston. We raised money. We sent the team over. They were able to clean up houses. They were to buy, buy needed supplies for families in need. In response to the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, we began to speak on racial reconciliation and the importance of calling out bigotry and hate. We prepared our people to have those conversations. In response to this rising culture of xenophobia and anti-immigrant sentiment, we said, we're, we're not going to just let that happen. We started exploring a partnership with the Immigration Resource Center in Monrovia, which works to help undocumented our undocumented neighbors navigate our complex immigration system to find legal pathways to citizenship. We said, we're going we're gonna to do something. In response to the shootings at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando last year, the gay club uh, out in Orlando in 2016, we reached out to our local gay community to offer support and counseling. In response to poverty and homelessness, we help families find affordable housing through our partnership with Family Promise. We raise money for clean water in Africa by running marathons with Team World Vision. We work with Central City Community Church down over on Skid Row, just eight miles from here, over on Skid Row to help feed the homeless. We built a home for a destitute family in Ensenada, Mexico. Christianity is a fighting religion. We see the sin and the evil and injustice in the world, and we know that we cannot turn a blind eye. When we see hell on earth, we confront it with the light of heaven, with love and mercy and grace and truth, not with violence, but with love. Trinity is a fighting church. This is not a club. It's not just a family get-together. We are fighters. I love that. I love that. And when Jesus was born, the angels and the shepherds and the wise men received him as their king. We too are invited to do so. The Savior has been born to us. He is the Messiah the Lord. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Christmas is about one thing and one thing only, Jesus. Jesus is at the center. And I invite you to let everything else about this season just fall away, that you see Jesus at the center Adore him, worship him, enjoy him, serve him. And so we invite you to begin a spiritual journey with us today. Receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, as your King. Let, let today be a day of new beginnings for you. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and 
believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you're already on a journey, then we invite you to continue your journey with us. And, and Trinity is a wonderful, supportive, loving community. My family has been here for 14 years. All of our kids have grown up here. It's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful community of people who are being redeemed and restored by Jesus together. We are a family, and there's room for you here. There was no room for Jesus at the end, but there is room for you here. So we invite you to grow together with us and to change the world together with us. Jesus is making all things new, and he is using us to do it. We can do something about the sin and the brokenness around us. And Jesus promises to give us the power to overcome darkness. Jesus is the true light that gives light to all people. And this light has come into the world. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We invite you. We invite you to receive Him. And we invite you to walk with us as we follow you. If the Lord is speaking to you today, if you feel the Spirit stirring in your heart, if you, as we're talking about this, recognize that this story is true, this is what happened to me. As I finally learned the story, the real story of Jesus in my late 20s, something in my heart said, this is right. This is true. This explains the world that I live in. This explains me. And I receive Jesus. And if, if the Lord is speaking to you today, then here's what we invite you to do. After the service is over, don't go away. Would you just come up and introduce yourself to me? Or even if I've known you for a long time, if, if God has done something in your life today and you just want to talk about it, just come up to me, come up to any of our pastors and just say, can I just share with you, I think God spoke to me today through today's message, today's service, and I want to know what, I'm, what I should do next. We would love to have that conversation with you. We love you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let me pray and then we're going to worship together. Lord, we have made Christmas um, kind of superficial, really. It's cute. It's fun. A lot of sentimentalism. and We have good times, but man, Christmas is it's about this event that shook the world and changed, altered the course of history. The world has never been the same. And so, Lord, help us to see you, Jesus, recognize you, receive you during this season, celebrate you. This is about you, Jesus, our Savior, Messiah, our Lord.
our King. Speak to us, God. Don't let us off the hook. If there's something you wanted to do in us today, then do it, Lord. Don't let us walk out of here and ignore your voice. Because you are the Savior of the world. And you save us. Even now. In Jesus' name.